the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Fred. It is Wednesday, June 14th. The NBA is done. The NHL is done. 2023-24 rosters are now live on SpotTrack.com. Plenty more to come with those regards. Plenty already there in terms of the NBA. Keith Smith continues his off-season financial previews with a very interesting Memphis Grizzlies deep dive. Uh, everything from John Moran's situation to the, the Bain extension to plenty of other caveats that could, could, could come up. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? What is going down in Memphis? Um, the number two seed, if you remember, this past year in, in the Western Conference. So uh, Keith's almost to the finish line on this thing. I believe it's Boston, Denver, Golden State, the Lakers, the Heat, the Knicks, the 76ers, the Suns, and the Kings still to come. So pretty much the big boy playoff teams here left for Keith down the home stretch on these financial previews. All of them, all the other teams, I should say, are available now on com as well as positional dives in terms of free agents and things like that. Uh, he's done his rookie extension prediction piece. So if you're thinking about um, young players that are about to get paid, Keith tells you yes or no and just about how much. He was pretty much dead on with those predictions last offseason. The deadline for that is October, but the conversations start now. They really do. And uh, July 1st, the NBA free agent period is right around the corner. So what, what has finished uh, immediately begins in terms of the offseason. It's a 12-month sport, just like the NFL is. And speaking of which, my NFL movement series with the running backs continues. Uh, a lot of movement with the running back position. Not a lot of money involved, but I've noted all of it. Uh, from De- DeAndre Swift trades to all the draft picks to a ton of numbers, right? I, I, I've culminated a, a sort of like a preview with these movement series that tells you what the, where the market is, uh, what kind of restructures happened, the trades that happened, how many RB1s got replaced this offseason. That number is higher than I thought it was going to be. Uh, obviously the franchise tag players, which drove the running back conversation and continues in many franchises here. Um, but it's a full fledged deep dive on running backs. And, uh, if you need more running backs, our last episode of the spot track podcast dove heavily into the running back financial market and where it is and where it's going and some thoughts on the Barkley situation and yada, yada, that seems to be coming to a head here. There's uh, there's conversations happening. The giants know they need him. We'll see if this gets to a finish line or if he ends up signing that tag in July and shows up to camp and goes from there. But uh, lots to do here. Lots to get to at this position. I dove into as much of it as possible, and I didn't even talk about Delvin Cook. Um, that's still to come. We'll see where that ends up. Speaking of which, I mentioned the markets in terms of the running back. It got me thinking <laughs> as I did that deep dive into the running back market. When was the last time every position's financial market was reset? Uh, some I knew, obviously the quarterback was just reset less than 50 days ago. Um, I did this in two, with two approaches. I did this at every position group from quarterback to long snapper based on average salary and based on practical guarantees. Uh, and I gave you how many days since the reset, I gave you a deep dive positionally into who holds the belt for each of those metrics, positionally speaking. And some quick thoughts on who might be next to eclipse this thing, uh, what it looks like, right? Kyle, Kyle use checks reign as the top fullback is undefeated at this point in time. Um, but I also got a little snarky with 
situations like Tyreek Hill, who's 30 million per year is kind of BS. And I want people to know that it's, it's BS, right? It's unbelievably backloaded just to get that number to that number. Um, so there's some, you know, adjusted breadwinners at certain positions and things like that. You know, Sean Watson's 230 million guaranteed asterisk, right? Got to throw an asterisk in that part, even though it's the current leader in the clubhouse. So there's an NFL positional market reset piece live on spottrek.com that breaks down all of this in terms of the, the last time it was reset. Spoiler, it is the running back that has gone the longest without a market reset. I'm not going to give you the number, but there are four digits in it. <laughs> okay. There are four digits in it. There are two other positions that have four digit resets in, in terms of guarantees. I'm not going to tell you what those are either, but they are pretty prominent positions. All right. Yes, the running back has been devalued. These other positions should get talked about more and they will get talked about more on upcoming episodes of the Spot Trade Podcast. There's no question about it, but uh, worth your time to check out this piece. It's a quick read and uh, I think it's going to change the way you think about certain positions if you look at it just in terms of market reset and where the, where the guarantees for a position rank in terms of other positions and uh, how the NFL is treating certain positions maybe on a grander scale than we think about because uh, there's a lot of a lot of guys out there doing a lot of work, and if you look at the market from this approach, they're at the bottom of one and the top of the other. So we'll uh, we'll see if that changes anytime soon. But that's currently live on SpotTrack.com. Plenty more writing to come. I'll continue my movement series with wide receivers, hopefully by the end of the week here, and we'll go from there. Today is a baseball episode. Cousin Dan joins. We're going to limp into the buyers and sellers conversation. We're six weeks from the trade deadline. There's a, a lot of middle, as you might imagine, middle of the road teams. We're going to talk playoff percentages, trade candidates, buyers and sellers, surprise teams, surprise bad teams. And, uh, you know, who's going to be making the most noise at the end of the day? We get into an Otani conversation. Obviously, the Mets are top priority here with their uh, bang for buck conversation and and maybe just stuck in the mud situation. We'll see what happens there. But Dan and I get into a bunch of deep dives here as the uh, trade conversation picks up. And certain teams have to make certain moves to get themselves into better positions. And certain teams have to uh, hold court. That's the beauty of the marathon season that is Major League Baseball. It's a big baseball conversation next on the Spot Trip Podcast. All right, Dan, we're about six weeks from the trade deadline in Major League Baseball. So it's a good time to get an early jump on it. Uh, even though the conversation we're about to have is really freaking hard, right? This buyers and sellers stuff it gets harder every year. They push the trade deadline back to August 1st, uh, give or take a couple of days every season. And there's always four or five teams that get in this conversation that maybe don't belong here. And four or five who seem out of the conversation who end up needing to be in the conversation come July. So um, let's try to, you know, at least break down to some degree a buyers or a sellers without having to say it's a push too many times, because I know that's the softball way to look at this, but um, let's, let's start with the, uh, the elephant in the room, which is the Mets $350 million payroll. You know, you know, everything that you know, um, is this something they should look to fix in 2023? If we're talking about it in con you know, in context to what this conversation is going to be on a grander scale. <clears throat> Honestly, I don't really know what to what can be done exactly to fix it. Um, yeah, and I guess I'm saying that with the 
with the idea in mind that this team isn't drastically different than what the team that we liked, you know, only two months ago, um, you know, besides some injuries with their starting pitching and consistency there. And now the Pete Alonzo injury for the most part, but um, I think they mostly have to just kind of hope things fix themselves. Is that, is that like the, no, the it, worst it, way to go about this because that, I, I it seems like they've made their bed and now they have to lie in it. I, I mean, they're so pot invested in many areas. It's not like teams are just going to be, you know, willingly trying to, to poach these pieces off of them. There's probably one or two that that could happen with, but I mean, they're, they're at a point now where they're going to just start DFA and people that that's, what's going to happen. You're going to start seeing the bench get flooded uh, with salary retained and things like that. And, and they're going to actually put themselves into a deeper financial hole before it's all said and done, in my opinion. Um, but do you think it's just ride this out or do you, do you believe there's a move? doesn't have to be significant. It doesn't have to be, you know, Jack Flaherty or something to that degree, uh, you know, kind of a home run pitching move, but is there a move out there that at least spins them in a better direction? I mean, we're talking five, six games under 500 right now. So it's not like the sky is completely falling uh, in comparison to some of these other teams we're about to talk about, but they're, they're, uh, they're slipping out of NL East conversation pretty damn quickly. <laughs> so if there's a move to be made, I, I know the, the sentiment is that that pitching will be very expensive and hard to come mm-hmm. by at the deadline. I think as we get closer, that w- teams will have a clearer picture if they're in, if they're out. Um, and you know, guys at the back, veterans at the back end of rotations are likely to be moved, in my opinion. So, um, I think the Met, if there is a move to be made here for the Mets, I I think it's adding one or two back end starters, um, probably on expiring deals that are not going to cost you a whole lot. Um, like whether it's true or not, the Mets have been pretty public about not wanting to dip into their system um, and their prospect capital to fix issues in the last few years here. Um, they've wanted to kind of let those guys marinate. We've seen them come up and play a, a pretty significant role this year um, as well. So I kind of, I, I do like that strategy. Um, now, if they're going to kind of rug pull themselves on that and, and dip into that to make a move, um, then I'm going to kind of eat my words here. But as long as they're willing to kind of maintain that, that strategy, um, I, I, sorry, t- just to kind of, put a just just to back up a touch i think the the pitching is probably where you need to make a move here i don't really know if there's a whole lot to do um within the lineup itself unless it's like dfaing a guy like eduardo escobar or something like that um but i think the move is to be made through pitching now Every team, especially the Mets right now, could use a a solid reliever. That is extremely expensive. So I guess my long-winding point with the pitching is I think it's going to be cheaper to try and acquire some veteran back-end starters that can kind of stabilize the rotation. Maybe that allows you to move um, like a Trevor McGill to like a longer relief role, stabilize the bullpen, something like that. Otherwise, I don't, I don't really know what move there is to be made. I mean, you're way closer. Is there something, you know, besides moving on from the coach or some move like that? Mm. Is there something you think would drastically help? Mm. Because it seems like the pitching overall, but specifically the bullpen, which is maxed out also because the starters have been pretty bad. So it's just kind of this, you know, web yeah, of- the, look, the, the pitching has been bad. The pitching's old. In a lot of cases, uh, there was always going to be the risk of this. The pitching is expensive. So, um, A, there's a conversation to be had about should they stop spending there? B, 
you know, those are immovable objects right now, right? I mean, you've got right. 140 million invested in your rotation and you're getting bottom eighth of the, of the, of the league production right now, especially after Scherzer start last night. Um, I, I'm going to flip this a little bit on you. Um, I think the only way to look at this, if I'm sitting at the top of this business spectrum is we have put every dollar possible into this rotation and, and, and honestly into the bullpen too, right? We're, we're not even talking Edwin Diaz's contract, which is just sitting there right now rotting, unfortunately. Um, but it's the highest contract in the history of relief pitching. <laughs> I, I think they're going to have to make a position move. And I'm going to connect a couple of dots you made there. They, you're right. There's there's at least two literal rookies starting in this starting nine every single day for this team right now, which completely counteracts spending $600 million in free agency and you know blah, blah, blah. They're, they're sort of doing everything all at once, which, which to me is just a terrible way to do business as we've seen in a lot of sports. But I think the plan is not to continue to add veteran pieces, which has already blown up in their face, even if, you, even if they turn this thing around to a, to a 500 record for the rest of the year. It's a, this is a fail. This is a mess um, because the money says it has to be. I think they start looking to more of these prospects, Dan. I think they bring up... Ronnie Mauricio, and, and they find a spot for him. And you know where I think that spot might be? Outfield. And they got an expensive Mark Cannon and an expensive Starling Marte sitting out there who just aren't there. Now, now they're a, you know, a starting player for another franchise. I'm not sure they are for the Mets anymore, truly. Marte's been moved all over the lineup. He's had injuries. There's been back and forth, up and down, but he's $20 million a year. I mean, this is not an easy trade. Uh, you know, on July 31st for any team to make with his production or lack thereof. So uh, I think they're going to blame a lot of this on hitting. They've done it all year. I've heard the broadcast say constantly this team can't hit. Francisco Lindor has been sort of thrown under the bus in that regard. Um, and maybe rightfully so to some degree. But uh, I think there's going to be at least one starting position player moved off this roster, maybe half contract retained, just to get another one of those rookies up here and, and start to turn over half of this lineup into seven or a thousand dollar players when the, when the starting pitching is going to cost them a hundred million a year. So um, I don't have a good answer. I don't think anybody would when you've, when the finances look like this, this is not normal stuff to deal with. But if I'm thinking logically from a fake GM standpoint, it's what the hell did we just do? What do we get ourselves into I got a guy down there hitting 19 home runs who's going to cost me $700,000 per rate to, to bring up. Let's just do that because at least at the end of the day, my bottom line isn't getting crushed and we're probably getting 80%, 85% of the production anyway. So I think um, cooler heads are going to pre prevail from a money standpoint in this organization pretty damn quickly. And you're right. It's not about trading those players. It's about getting them up here as quickly as possible. And that's going to mean more money paying in trading, retaining, DFAing multiple players over the next couple of months. It's not about 2023 at all. Uh, even if they sneak into a wildcard conversation at some point, and certainly that's possible, uh, this is about preserving the next couple of years from a financial standpoint and probably from a, a saving face standpoint. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Let's get on to some better news. Um, before we go league-wide, I'm going to throw a couple of multiple choice questions at you. <clears throat> there are a couple teams who are at the top of their divisions or at least contending for the top of their divisions. 
I'm calling them surprise risers because of where they were last year versus where they are right now. You can pick one of these four teams and roll with it. You can mention, you can bounce around however you want to treat this, but I'm going to, I'm going to name these four teams as my surprise risers, Arizona, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and the Miami Marlins. Thoughts on any of those teams right now sitting basically one or two in their respective divisions. Yeah. So all of these teams, I think are on the fringe and probably not prepared to make a substantial playoff run this year. Mm-hmm. Um, World series run, I might say, <clears throat> but so, so where do they live then in terms of trade deadline? If that's your take, and I think it's a, it's a logical take, then what, what, how do they operate in July, Dan? Exactly. So I think the specifically these four franchises have had a bit of a playoff drought here and at, at least have, created some excitement within their organizations with the years they've had moves that have been made in recent years, things kind of trending in the right direction. Um, so I do think that these four teams specifically, um, if they're, if it's the deadline and they're still within striking range, I think they could make a couple small, smaller ish strategic moves to make a playoff push, um, which could really do a lot for their, their respective fan bases. Now I think, um, the Diamondbacks and um, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, probably Baltimore. Right? Diamondbacks and Baltimore are the two close closer to the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, just like not even just win percentage wise or where they are in the standings, just as a whole organizationally, I think they're way closer yeah. than the Marlins or the Pirates. But all four teams realistically ha- have not made the playoffs. And it would be very exciting for their fan bases. I could see those organizations pushing some minor chips in um, towards making trades and improving to try and get into the playoffs. Even if they fall, even if a Miami Marlins team falls short, if they're in it until the end, um, I could see them being buyers. But I say light buyers, though, because I don't think any of them are really positioned to go make any giant splashes. Um Specifically, the Diamondbacks and the Orioles are loaded in their systems. Everything is trending in the right directions if they just kind of um, stay the course over the next couple of years. So I would really hate to see them move, um, you know, a big time prospect unless it's like part of a greater move, uh, multi-year move. But that's kind of where I am with those four. I think all of them could make a move. I think uh, Arizona, Baltimore are more likely, um, but they're all on the fringe there. Okay, I'll... uh... I'll give my two cents, which is similar. Um, Baltimore is 18 games over 500. <laughs> okay. Four and a half games up on the first wild card spot right now, which is a realistic landing spot for them. I mean, they have more ammo to bring to this table, uh, as you've kind of alluded to. But I don't know if that ammo is built for 162 plus two series. You know what I mean? Because it gets it gets really early late in the season for young players who aren't used to this kind of marathon type year. And that's why so many of these young teams trail off in Major League Baseball. It's just a fact. They get burned out. They get gassed in the season. Um, I think it is worth a prospect, maybe two, to put a body in here. Um, a, a legitimate, a legitimate top of the market trade body. Um, if anything, Dan, I think they could operate like the like the Braves have for the last couple of years, right? Maybe it's three B trade candidates that they bring in to really shake things up. Not enough to ruin, you know, your your culture and your and your dugout and things like that, but just a, a warning shot 
A to the AL East, B to the American League, right? The wild card that they're in, right? They're pot invested. And uh, I think it's probably the right time for them. Toronto's slipping off a little bit here. The Yankees are the Yankees. I mean, they're still in a fine spot. The Rays aren't going anywhere, but they're in such good standing with the wild card right now. And it's very early. I'm, I'm perfectly aware of that. I just think they were in this position last year slightly, and they moved two pieces off the roster. Remember that? And we were thinking, well, they, they must not be ready to go yet. I, I have to think that's exactly the opposite right now in Baltimore, that they have to feel like they're completely ready. And even if they think they can't get to the finish line, you, you started off this conversation the right way. The droughts for these teams have been ridiculous. They probably owe it to their fan base, you know, to just to get this thing at least as far as humanly possible. And if they have to do a little bit of restructuring in the offseason to maybe fix a mistake they made, that's fine. Um, so with Baltimore, I'm in buying mode. I'm in, I'm in Braves buying mode. Let's bring in two or three guys who have been here in September, been here in October, may be able to uh, become a viral situation for us inside this locker room and, and do some magic down the stretch. Um, Pittsburgh is a product of their division. You've said that to me out loud a million times. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a seller if I'm Pittsburgh, Dan. I'm selling parts. I'm not selling the, the closer. I'm not selling any of the young kids. But if I've got somebody who anybody wants and I can get something you know younger and cheaper back, I'm doing it. I'm still in that mode with Pittsburgh. No question about it. I'm, I apologize to, to Pirates fans for that. Um, and I think it's similar with Miami. Do you believe in the Marlins, Dan? No, I, I personally don't believe that they added a batting champion and now they're good. That, that cannot be because they traded their second best pitcher. There, there were so many moving parts. They changed their manager. There's a, there's, there's a lot new here. Is it just fluky right now? What, what is this? Yeah, I don't, I, I, for the record in the pirates and the Marlins, I don't, I don't yeah. believe in them, but they have surpluses in certain spots. Um, like, like, yeah. Specifically, the Marlins, they have a boatload of pitching. No one's actually sure if any of it is really good. They have some random outfield. Uh, they have basically five second basemen starting on their in their lineup. So it's I, I, it's just kind of like a weird group of players to the point where I think they could kind of um, maybe, uh, you know, pair some of that up and find a deal with somebody. But it's a minor, a minor-ish deal. And the Pirates specifically, I agree, they should be looking to, to move some aging veterans. It's just that, yeah. like, their aging veterans are so old now that I really don't even know. Like, it, maybe you're getting, like, a low-A prospect in return. Yeah. Maybe not even. I, maybe it's just money at this point. I'm not not sure, but all, all I'm saying is if the pirates are within striking distance of a wild card um, berth, which is very questionable anyways, I do think that they could at least look to kind of to, to flipping there I, on your Orioles point. I do, I do agree with your sentiment there. All I'm trying to say is they should not be flipping any premium prospects no. for one year rentals is kind of no. where I'm at. Um, if it's a multi-year move, then I am totally on board because I do agree with you um we've talked in the past about how at some point they kind of have to to push the gas down a little bit more and um you know specifically middle infield prospects um they mm -hmm. they have gunner henderson um uh jackson uh, jackson holiday mm -hmm. in addition to Con jordan westberg connor norby who are also premium premium middle infield prospects so at some point they probably try and consolidate some of that talent do they do it this year and move on from one of those major prospects in a huge return for a multi-year 
um, ace pitcher, maybe that's the move. But I I do agree with you. They need to kind of turn up the volume here pretty soon. I just don't want to see them forfeit um, any, any, you know, prematurely forfeit their future is all I'm saying. But yeah, I agree with you. It's fair, but I I do think they should push the gamut. I really do believe that. Um, And with Arizona, boy, it, it seems like everything they've done has turned out to be as advertised, you know? And I give all, I give them all the credit in the world for the Bumgarner situation. I think they've treated that properly. They've done a few of that, you know, you know, they've, they've, they've trimmed some fat over the past couple of years, sort of quietly. And we just sort of wrapped it into the conversation of bad teams, you know, admitting that they're bad. And now that's not what this is. In fact, it was, we had to trim the fat to get the kids, give the kids room to grow. And now they're blossoming and it's going to be quick, right? This team is going to be a thing for three to four years, as long as they can hit maybe one or two pieces every year from free agency or via trade. Is that, is that how you feel? Should they be adding veterans or do you think it's just let these kids grow up and figure it out? No, I'm, I'm in the same spot. I think they've really positioned themselves well in the next couple of years to make that jump, um, to be competitive with the Dodgers on an annual basis. But again, I don't think they should, um, yeah, prematurely kind of kind of rug themselves on that with with the here's the move i mean you'll be able to tell what they do at the deadline uh how serious they think they are if they dfa nick ahmed and bring Mm -hmm. up uh jordan lawler at any point that's when that's when they think they're real in my opinion um if that happens this year i think that that's when they're ready to start making moves i've heard Um, sniffs of it so i know they're thinking about it dan i know it's at least in in the uh in the conversation so you're right it's they're a talented ass young team, and that's going to be fun to watch, especially if the Dodgers do fall back here a little bit more. All right. Exact opposite conversation. I've got surprise fallers. Uh, we talked about the Mets. They're obviously in the t- in this conversation. The Cardinals might be the breadwinner here. Maybe that's the team you want to talk about. I put the Padres in this as well. And I added your Guardians, who, yeah, they're second in the division, but they're, you know, four or five games under 500. They're not consistently winning like we thought they should be. There's some starting pitching conversations to be had. They've already DFA'd one of them. There may be another one coming, right? Um, you know, and their aces is winding down his six-year tenure here that could get them to a situation where he either walks or they are forced to trade him and Shane Bieber. Um, I, I think you'd agree they're underproducing at this point in time. In, in terms of those three teams, uh, what surprises you the most in terms of Cardinals, Padres, Guardians? Well, the Padres, it's pretty much played out how we thought we yeah we thought they had an elite level starting lineup when everybody is healthy a, a really good starting rotation when everyone's healthy um but really thin depth beyond that which has um kind of been created based on all those big moves they've made in recent years so mm-hmm. um it, we and for the record we've seen that kind of play out um, where this team has a really high ceiling, but it's it's a very inconsistent roster. So um, I don't really, again, Padres, I don't even know what they have. They're not moving any of their top two prospects, to, you know, top handful of prospects. Um, and then it's just a cliff beyond that. So I really don't know what the moves are there. You know, moves can be made with that team, but um, I'm sure AJ Preller will figure something out. Um, Guardians are 
probably best positioned to sort of sell for the future. They are always doing this for the record, but to sell for the future while staying competitive, um, they have, again, a ton of middle infield uh, mm-hmm. prospect talent that they kind of need to consolidate at some point. Um, they have some aging starting pitching they might move on from, but I, 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 this is a team that theoretically could sell, you know, could deal Shane Bieber and still be in a wild card race at the end of it, which is something to say um, for the organizational depth there. So Cardinals, I am going to probably die on this hill this year, but I just think the roster is too talented and the pitching is just a glaring need. They have, they have plenty of prospect capital. They, they should, and probably need to make a move in the starting rotation. And in my opinion, if they can solidify that, you know, we've seen miles Mikolas kind of, you know, turn the corner here in the second Mm -hmm. half of this first half of the year. Um, Jack Flaherty has been wildly inconsistent, but sometimes he's good. Other times he's bad. Um, destroyed arm last night, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Jordan Montgomery is a nice piece. So you really do have three solid pieces there. If they can kind of round out the back end. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who, who is that pitcher? Like who is the big fish, this deadline that you think a team like the Cardinals can overpay for and bring in to change their culture right now? Do you have it? Is it Bieber? I mean, they, I mean, they, to me, they have pieces that will enable them to swim in the big end. Now I have like thrown around Corbin Burns name in the past. I don't really know if Milwaukee does like a Cardinals deal. Um, I, I I will kind of walk that point back, but who the, whoever the biggest name out there is, yeah, they should be in theory involved in that conversation. Um, I guess I don't have somebody specifically outlined here. If we talk about through it a little bit more, I'll find somebody. It's weak. Um, it's thin. I mean, we've been doing trade candidate lists now for a couple of weeks, and I've read plenty of others. I don't see a big fish starting pitcher being tossed out there at all. So, I mean, somebody right. always goes. There's always somebody, right? And Corbin Burns, for a while, was on that list. Milwaukee's one out of the division. I mean, they've got to sniff this, this division right now for the remainder of this year. I don't think they're moving anybody right now with any kind of substance. Do you? No, they're not because of that. Um, I still think they're pretenders and that roster will kind of fall apart here as things go on. But um, yeah, they're, they're probably, they're probably staying, staying put. Um, The Cardinals pieces that, that I'm thinking they'd move lead me to believe it's probably a pitcher. We're really not even considering um, as in like a a multi-year pitcher. Um, not on an expiring contract. <clears throat> well, that's Bieber. Uh, to me, that's Bieber, Dan. And if look, if if Cleveland is where they are and they're having the conversations you and I just had, which is a, a flip on the fly, and there's a team like St. Louis out there that's willing to overpay right now, you know, for for what is considered a, a top two pitcher in a rotation, you got to be listening to those conversations, right? I mean, those teams, the two teams have done business before. That's that makes sense to me. There seems like that could be at least a conversation to be had over the next six weeks um, because I just don't see legitimate big-time, big-fish starting pitching being tossed on the trade block right now. It's just not something people are talking about, but you're right. People always kind of come out of the woodworks. Um, can Should Baltimore be talking with A.J. Preller in San Diego right now? Is there a uh, pitch- starting place in San Diego that, that the Padres should be thinking about giving up on that could become that 
veteran piece for the for the Orioles that maybe helps them in September. Does 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 Baltimore's prospect depth and San Diego's starting nine, you know, prowess match up as a trade partner in the next six weeks? Or does San Diego just have literally nothing to lose? They can give up I just, right now. I just don't like is Jake I mean, Cronenworth I, worth Baltimore's conversation? I don't think it no. I mean, I, I, I don't think it would be like I guess the way you laid it out, I'm I'm thinking like do they add like a Matt Carpenter type like that? But I yeah. I don't know what value that really adds here, you know? Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough conversation because you don't want to mess with a good thing either. Um and oh by the way, San Diego could go on a tear. They could go on an absolute 25 game tear here and turn this entire conversation around. They're built for that. They're just underperforming to to a certain degree and they've had their ups and downs. Um, all right, let's get into this, Dan. Let's, we talked about some of these candidates. We talk, talked about some of these teams. You've laid out a nice document here that at least gets us to a point of playoff percentages and things like that. Um, and certainly the teams in the middle are always the tough ones. We've already talked about almost all of them, right? Padres, Marlins, Mets, Orioles. Those are your playoff kind of uh, middle ground percentages right now. And anybody at the bottom stand out with they've got pieces that's, that other teams should be all over right now. Let's talk Washington, Oakland, the Royals, the Rockies, and the Tigers. Anybody, anybody flush with players that could move at the deadline here? So not really. This uh, Those are the clear sellers at this point. Um, right where we're recording this um, per fan graphs, they have a 0% playoff chance. Um, but even though the, Oakland's the, won seven in a row and they're publicly protesting to keep the team and whatever, whatever is happening there, it's fun. <laughs> right. Um, the, the funny part about those five teams though, is they have almost no pieces that are going to be of major interest to a playoff contending team. Now I, I stick my foot in my mouth a little bit. There are some, valuable veterans that will probably likely get moved. Um, but I mean, nobody, no one that you're super, super excited um, if your team acquires them. But um, I mean, you want to get into specific players here? Or what, yeah. What do you... yeah throw, throw, throw a few names out. We'll move on from there. I mean, the A's are almost certainly going to move on from Trevor May. They, they mm-hmm. almost certainly signed him to trade him at the deadline. Yeah, They're not paying his full 7 million. That was never going to happen. Right. So if in, in relief is going to be highly in demand this year to the point where we're hearing um, mm-hmm. like Joe Kelly might move for a, like a B plus a type mm. prospect, which is kind of, kind of wild to me. But um, regardless, Trevor May, there's, even if he's not a closer, there should be some demand for him. Um, Ramon Laureano, it seems like both sides are kind of ready to move on. They're just uh, waiting for, for that to happen. Um, the Royals are definitely going getting some interest in Araldis Chapman, uh, throwback there, Scott Barlow. I've even heard those two will probably are even likely to be connected in a deal, um, which screams Arizona all over it. I think sure. that's I, I didn't really talk about that, but that is like the one spot that I think they could immediately upgrade this year. Um, Can I give you another team? Yeah. I think 
Chapman specifically, but if it's a package deal, even better. And Cincinnati going, getting, getting that relationship back together makes a hell of a lot of sense here, Dan. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Another team we're kind of leaving off this conversation, but maybe the, the most fun team in baseball right now. Yeah. And they have a, they quietly have some nice prospects in the mm-hmm. I mean, we've, the Ellie De La Cruz uh, fan. Yeah. Nothing been, quiet about that. That kid is Yeah, here. exactly. But there's some, <laughs> there's some guys even beyond that, that we haven't uh, gotten into. So they might be kind of a quiet team that makes, um, like a multi-year buy, but not mm-hmm. like a short-term purchase, if you will. So uh, um, I think Jerickson Profar can certainly help a contender. He seems like that outfield piece that moves the deadline that that has you know a little bit of swagger with him. That's he's just lost in Colorado right now. I don't know what the hell happened in free agency with that kid. I mean, he was he was a multi-year player, uh, you know, valued of all day, and then ended up with what what one for seven or something like that with Colorado. Just crazy, just the absolute value dump, but. You know, does he end up back in San Diego? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's your outfield depth, right? If they throw a, a tiny little rental piece at Colorado to get him out of there. Um, how far up this list do we have to go in terms of win percentages before we start to get the buy? Who's the first buy of bad teams, Dan? Um, good question. I mean, if we're going play, uh, playoff percentage, I still think the Cardinals, but I am well, I'm too much on the record as <laughs> on that no. point. Um, I. Well, we mentioned Cincinnati. They're, they're, they could mini buy. Um, are the White Sox out? Are they just selling? They got like eight pieces, right? That could sell. I mean, that team is the wild card in all of mm-hmm. this. Like if, that division is very, is still pretty wild, wide open. Uh, they are not looking great so far, but they could make a little bit of a charge here. If they do, it would not be out of the realm um, for that front office and, you know, ownership to push chips in a little bit. Um, I don't even mean to make a big splash, but to just not tear it down and go yeah. after it. Um, yeah. The flip side of that, though, is they have a ton of pieces. To answer your question earlier, that's the one team that I feel like the entire league is sort of looking and waiting on. And, yeah, they're and calling just, every day, right? <laughs> yeah, be, and, and piece, people might not like Lucas Giolito, Lansling, guys like that, but, I mean, they are bona fide proven front end of the rotation um, inning eaters in, in this league, and they're going to have some demand. I already talked about Joe Kelly. He might be mm-hmm. – the best reliever on the market. Um, if they want to really full tear down, you move to a tier of like Tim Anderson, who has uh, another really reasonable player option. Um, maybe Dylan Cease, if you're gonna if you're gonna kind of keep moving on, uh, or if you're gonna really tear it down. Um, Michael Kopech, we we've seen uh, you know as he approaches his arbitration years, he's going to get more expensive and probably doesn't fit into the timeline if you're doing a full rebuild. So um, there's kind of like a tier. Uh, two different tiers here, depending on how far they want to go with this. Um, back to that point, though, they are a wild card and they they will do what they want. So I, I don't want to predict anything, but that feels like the team that can kind of really do a fast rebuild, um, sort of like the Cubs did uh, when yeah. they moved on from their aging veterans. Um, they're you know they're not good this year, but they they immediately replenish their system with a number of interesting pieces, and I think the White Sox are in a spot that where they could do something similar. We uh, we kind of glossed over the Cubs when we were having our conversation a couple of minutes ago. Here, uh, Marcus Stroman could become the big fish. Marcus Stroman needs a contract. They've had conversations, the two parties there. 
doesn't sound like it's going well. We've been through this before with Marcus Stroman, right? He uh, he is looking for something probably unrealistic right now, but he's also he's also playing really good ball. He's he's been a really strong pitcher now for the better part of two and a half seasons, um, and and even with at least one of the seasons in New York as a Met, um, he's he could be the guy. He could be the guy that some of these other teams now. There's a culture conversation to have there, but um that could be your big fish i'll give you one more name and, and you can you can expand on this team if you want to uh we, you you haven't believed in the phillies all year i don't i don't think you do now either right even though the mets have fallen from grace and things like that because if not Aaron Nola has turned the corner and he's at least in the conversation of being a bona fide starting pitcher on this trade block right now with an expiring contract yes for sure for sure um I'm not, no, to answer that, no, I still am not buying in on the Phillies, um, but mm-hmm. at least some of my doubt was predicated on Bryce Harper being out and being less effective in his return once he did come back to the lineup, um, which he's proved me wrong in, so I'm willing to walk that back a little bit, but I still long-term um, think the Braves are the class of that division, um, and we'll probably add a couple veteran pieces um, like they do every single year to kind of solidify that. So, um <laughs> Yeah, what else did I forget to answer here? Um, well, we haven't talked to Angels yet. There's seven over 500. Otani and Trout are in MVP conversations. Things are kind of... We've been down this road, I feel like, four straight seasons. I feel like it, it feels great every June. And then at some point in time, usually right around the deadline, things start to really turn for turn sour for this team. You know, the teams around them generally get better, whether that's via trade or just via, you know, the marathon season. Where are we now with version five of this Angels roster, Dan? Do you think this thing has legs? I, I know you had some belief in that pitching staff. Do you still have belief that they th- they can at least contend and stay, you know, significantly over 500 and in the conversation here? Or I, I don't think there's any world where Otani's on the trade block. Uh, can we agree there? Yeah, I think that's... I think that's got to be dead at this point for sure. So then are they buying or are they holding tight and just trying to run this thing to the finish line? I mean, they're probably buying like I I do hear they're them connected to Shane Bieber. He's from, um, Mm. he's from that area. There has been a little bit of smoke that they could be a buyer. I, even in past years, I've heard those that connection made. Mm -hmm. Um, so rumblings are, is that, they're they would buy if they, I think we talked about this on prior uh podcasts, but if they're not selling, it doesn't really benefit them to just sit tight and not really try and add to this at all. So, um, yeah, I could see them adding a, a, a big piece, as reluctant as I am to think that is the uh, good process at this point. But yeah, well, if we're gonna talk about the process because this is a really fascinating situation, right? This is they're they're at least in the conversation for 2023. So there's a there's an uh, an order of operations where they're thinking about their 2023 roster, but then there's it's impossible not to think about next year and beyond, right? So are they holding tight because they think that things might fall apart once Otani leaves, right? So that means let's not throw more money at what could be a terrible situation in 6 months. Are they overcompensating at this deadline to try to woo Otani to stay, especially with players like Bieber who have two years left of term, right? I mean, that's, that's something you can throw at Otani's camp and say, look, we're not going to be, you know, we're going to be better next year because we, we made this move. 
or is it the opposite? Are they just going to go all in on 2023 and not even blink at what 2024 looks like right now? And whatever happens, they'll deal with it when it happens. Doesn't sound like good business, but I think there's a lot of sports teams right now and and rightfully so that literally are going year to year and just letting money fix everything else later. Where, how, how, if you're the GM in, in Anaheim right now and all of these things are in front of you, what, what is your priority? Is it right now? Is it the next three months? Is it, is it prioritizing the negotiation with Otani or is it prioritizing life without Otani because you've already set yourself up for that? Man, I, th- th- every I time it's like we talk a college about this, course, right? <laughs> yeah, every time we talk about this, I, I, it gets more complicated to me. Um, like, I, I don't know if the G, just to talk through a couple points, right? Do, I don't do know. They, the do GM, they know yet? Right? Do they know what the hell is going to happen? Right. I don't know if the GM survives post Otani. Um, I don't mm. know if the GM survives if Otani stays. I don't know if he's a lame duck. Um. I, I just, I flat out don't know. And that is really operating under that mentality is very hard to predict moves. Um, because what you, what you have laid out is, is very correct. They have sort of, um, pushed Mm -hmm. sort of accelerated things. Um, in my opinion, they've taken a different approach in recent years, accelerating things in an effort to try and be competitive, probably to keep those players. Um, for instance, something very interesting I heard recently, the, the angels draft pick have, sorry, the angels have draft picks have been the first to debut from the prior three drafts as in 2021, really? 2022, 2023, or sorry, 2021, 22, players drafted from those drafts for the first to debut. Um, Zach Neto earlier this year, we mm-hmm. just saw them bring up Ben Joyce. Um, and I believe it was Chase Silseth in 2020. Um, so it, like my, my, my unclear point that I'm making is that they're, they're so, I don't know if they're rushing players, but they're certainly more risk adverse to bringing those players up earlier and throwing them in and seeing if they succeed. And you have to think that is geared towards we need we need to plug holes and that is the the quickest simplest way for us to cheap. do it um <laughs> yeah right cheap too so i i guess i the picture i'm trying to p- paint is that i feel like nobody really knows and some of that is probably complicated by the ownership situation there right where he's he wants to sell now he's staying is the G is, does he want the GM involved long-term? Does he not? Does he want Otani? Is he trying I was to just about to go here. Do you, do you think uh, there's a money ball conversation happening right now in this, in this front office because of the ownership, because of the potential sale, because of Otani, right? What, what if, what if Artie Moreno has basically said to the GM, I've got 600 million set aside here right now for this guy. You're not spending a dollar. You know what I mean? Like you're you're not spending half of any contract at this deadline. It's just not happening. You want to bring guys up, that's within your prerogative. But that's the only way you're operating for the next four four months because I need to have this thing available. And once it's not available, you're fired, and we'll start over from there. Right? I, I, that's completely plausible. It could be. It could be. But I mean, is that if you're in Otani's camp, and is that like promising that no. they're gonna they're gonna try no. and. Uh, 
be cheap to pay you and then move no. forward. Yeah. So that that's where I just like don't know where any of this goes. It's gonna be super, super interesting to see to see where that how that plays out. It's a it's a mess. It's a, I can't believe Otani stayed this year. I can't believe he signed the one for 30 and just said, forget it, I'll deal with it next year. I really can't. I really can't. I know, and that these are all data points that go into the the confusion. And I, if you pull a catalog of me specifically on this podcast talking about Otani mm-hmm. and this situation, I'm sure it is a roller coaster of back and forth. So I apologize for anyone who's following along because I truly, I truly don't know where this goes, how it plays out, or the corresponding moves that you know the ripple effect that that comes. I'm post, rooting for uh, them to make post. the playoffs. I'm rooting for the best possible scenario on the field to happen because that's only going to amplify this conversation like it did with judge, right? I mean, like it did with Aaron judge last year, outside of winning the whole damn thing, right? Aaron judge and the Yankees gave us everything we could possibly ask for in terms of a negotiation, everything. You know what I mean? Like what they did, what they said, what was made public, what was, you know, kind of spitballed on the hot stove. Everything was just perfect with that thing. There's no chance. Otani's goes like this. No chance. Right. I just want them to get in the postseason so that there's a semblance of hope for the Angels. And then it won't just be about how much are the Dodgers going to offer and how much are, you know, X play, I don't know, Arizona, Seattle, whatever teams are going to be there. Another, another uh, sliding team, by the way, Seattle there. Okay. Um, the biggest name that you believe is on the trade block right now, any position, any team, the biggest name that you think is on the trade block right now. Um, wow. I <laughs> I have no idea. Um I'm going to give you a hot take. Yeah, go ahead why I kind of brew on this. I, I think AJ Preller is at least listening to Juan Soto conversations. I think that he has backed himself into a bit of a corner here, as you've noted, that they are just not going to be deep enough to make it through a season ever with how they're currently constructed. There's not a lot of pieces falling off this roster next year, Dan. Um, and if and if they are, they're pitchers, and that's a problem, right? That, that's a problem for them. You don't want to get weak there. Um, and I don't think negotiations are going well, you know? with Boris and, and Soto and, and, you know, he's going to want to wait this, put this thing right down to the finish line. Like he's done so many times with other players. Um, and I, you know, Prowler's getting antsy. He does this every, every year, whether it's at deadline time, whether it's in the off season, this dude makes seven moves that we didn't see coming. So I'm going to try to get out in front of this one. <laughs> I'm going to say he's at least listening to an organization that wants to build around Juan Soto because he doesn't really need to do that with Juan Soto. Juan Soto is just a massive piece on this Padres team. He is not the piece. And A, I'm not sure Juan Soto loves that so much. He might. I'm not speaking for him here, but I'm not sure he loves that so much. And B, they're definitely not going to pay him as such, in my opinion. They're not going to put put out what Boris and and, and Soto are, are officially going to ask for when it all comes down to the, to the final day. So it's always better to trade with term. Always. I mean, we talk about this so much. And there's a point in time where a player gets too close to free agency to get any kind of value for him. So why not right now? Now, maybe not at this deadline. This could be an off-season conversation still, but that that is a name that I think should at least be floated in extension, 
lifetime contract and trade conversations all at the exact same time because a he's worth it to every to you know to every franchise in the league there are going to be teams that don't get Shohei Otani next year there's going to be 30 or 29 of them Dan so why not have the next best thing at least on the block softly quietly on the block saying hey if you're interested you know we'll, we'll pick up the phone just letting you know I'm going to say that's what the one of the things that's happening inside of San Diego's front office, even though, you know, it sounds crazy and it is crazy because he's a generational talent still, even, you know, with his hiccups and his slumps. Top that, Dan. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's not a bad call. I mean, the writing is kind of on the wall and we don't really know where it goes from here. And, yeah. I, I, you know, me, I do not like. I hate to kind of lump these two together, but I, the Mets and the Padres have made their beds like you yeah. referenced earlier. And if it worked, it worked and they would have been loudly, uh, you know, cheered for that, but we've seen it not really work out the way they thought. And they have very few outs in my opinion. So you saying that Juan Soto is probably one of the better outs. And if they want to try and right. try and, make some moves and um yeah i i still can't even come up with a name my, my head is so fried but i i don't know maybe mart maybe starling Marte is that yeah. name um yeah not that he's superstar level anymore you know to compete but he steals um, bases he does all the but, things that matter in the game right now and for a team that's looking just to upgrade a certain thing you know halfway decent right field talent with a great arm and, and can steal some bags and uh, it just looks like yeah, just body language if I'm doing that with trades right now, it looks like a guy who's kind of flamed out on this roster. It seems like he's bored or miserable or something's happening. Maybe he's injured. He's had quite a few little knocks here and there, but um, I just wonder if a change of pace for everybody in that regard makes sense. And then there's more room for kids, which we talked about here quite a bit with some of these franchises. Um, what happens in Seattle before we sign off here? I don't want to, I don't want to, leave them out of this conversation because there's a hell of a lot of talent. There was a hell of a lot of hype coming into the season. They did make some big splashes in free agency. The Julio contract's not even a year old. Where, where are we with the Mariners, you know, now, and then obviously in Komotani time. I was out on them coming into the year. I'm yeah. still out on them. Um, I like some talent on that team. I like some of the pitchers, specifically the young starting rotation on that team. Um, I just thought the depth was not there. And once you get past those starting four, um, I thought it got real thin. It, it, people who were projecting them to contend with the Astros were leaning on another career year from Ty France, um, yeah. a, a follow-up MVP type performance um, from Julio Rodriguez in his sophomore year. I just thought, there were way more avenues for that to go wrong than for it to succeed. Um, and I, you know, I, I like Luis Castillo. I like George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, their, their young rotation. Like I said, some of the bullpen pieces, but um, you know, they made a, a pretty somewhat aggressive move for Teoscar Hernandez. That has been, you know, a middling return and he's yeah. an expiring contract that you'd have to think um, doesn't return next year. So I don't, I didn't love the moves they made and it has kind of played out similar to how I thought it would. I don't know what they do though. Jerry DePoto is not one to make small moves either. So I, I could see them yeah. doing something low, uh, like uh, under the radar big, but um, I don't, I don't know what the solution is there to quite honestly, they have a couple prospects they could kind of move on from, but they, they did, um, extend themselves a little bit in the Luis Castillo deal. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where they go. You have any active thoughts? GM. That's, that, that's the reason I bring them up. That, that's an active, active GM loves there. to trade. It's he, he's got the moniker for it. Just like the, the Padres do. Maybe those two teams just talk here, right? Maybe and, those two and, teams do some business together and can swing and miss for the record too. I mean, oh, like, hell yeah. some really great moves, but it has also swung and missed uh, quite a few times in, in his GM career. So that that's, it's a good spot though to look. I, I, I point that out saying, he may not do what I think is the smart move and not to say what I think is right is the smart move anyways. But all I'm saying is like, if we're relying on rational GM GMing here, um, he could be a wild card. So can I tell you why I'm proud of us right now? As we finish up, we just went about 30, 40 minutes here. Zero Yankees talk. I'm proud of us, Dan. We did it. Yeah. Almost no Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah. Minimal Dodgers talk. So, uh, you know, I think you mentioned the Braves. I refuse to, as you know, uh, but zero Yankees talk. We're going to get there. I mean, they're they're over 500, but they're not great. But uh, we'll have a Yankees discussion at some point in time. Um, it's just not now. I don't think they're selling huge pieces. They're just got to get healthy and we'll see what happens when we're down and those pieces come back. But um, the Mets are the uh, the stink of New York again. That's what, <laughs> they're the team to talk about. And we're not done. I think there's moves to be made. Um, I'll get you out on this. Because it's timely. Uh, coach or GM for the Mets? Who goes first? Um, I think that the coach is probably the first move. Maybe yeah. it's like simultaneously. I personally am a Buck Showalter fan, um, but there, mm-hmm. it just seems like the writing is on the wall. Um, and yeah. I, I don't. I don't know what else. It just seems like the easiest move for them to make, I, I would assume. But I do think both of them are on the hot seat, as in Billy Epler as well. Um, we have heard in past years about like David Stern's rumblings from Milwaukee now that he's not there, um, or some other president of baseball operations type that um, Steve Cohen has had some interest in bringing in. So maybe this is just all um, a big you know, transition, uh, a natural transition for, for those two, but it's very difficult to, to do um, when you do have so much invested in players that are going to be there for at least a couple more years. So tough, tough job for a new GM or, or uh, president to come in and, and rectify. So if Pete's offered 10 for three fifty right now, does he sign it? Yeah. As a player. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah. I forgot what your value was on him, but yeah, I don't see. I'm just saying organizational dysfunction around him doesn't matter. Sign the contract. I mean, I don't know if I label it as dysfunction necessarily. I just Mm. think, Mm. I I mean, you think so? (laughs) Go ahead. You you elaborate on that then, because I, I don't know, unless you're just saying like Steve Cohen is too active of an owner, I would listen to that, but. Um, you think there's like meddling going on in personnel no, moves or no? Uh, well, yo, sure, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And you get that with every new ownership, right? It's want to be involved, want to show I'm a baseball guy, want to show I got a ton of money and throw around recklessly. Got to get through that hump. But if you're talking about starting fresh with front office completely and bringing in new president of operations and try that, that doesn't bode well for the current roster ever in any sport. So new guy comes in, sees Frankie Lindor on three for, th- or, you know, for $341 million, 300, 300 million left on that. That's not a great contract to look at on paper, right? It's not good. Does, is, is Lindor off this roster in two years? You know what I'm saying? So if I'm Pete, 
And I, I know those things and I'm being told by my agent PR, you know, people that this is a possibility, right? Brand new everything. And then Lindor's contract looks garbage. Scherzer's going to opt out. Who knows? This thing could go from, you know, 350 to 150 pretty damn quickly. And he might be, you know, a, the lone soldier on that roster. Uh, I sign it. I think he's happy there. You know, I, I don't think there's a lot of actual discourse happening. I guess I'm just projecting where this thing could go if the sort of changes that are, that could be made are made because we've seen, look, the Rams, right? The Rams, the Los Angeles Rams went from zero to, you know, hundred to zero in a minute and a half and they won the thing. You know, the Mets have won nothing. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting out where this thing could go. We've seen it quite a bit and uh, boy, you know, you have teams like the Marlins sneak up on you and it makes you look even worse. It really does. It makes you makes a team that just spent this kind of money, looks so much worse on paper and certainly on the field, but we'll see where this ends up. Somebody's taking the fall. I don't know in the next week. I think once they're done with this Mets Yankees subway series, something happens pretty significantly. Don't you agree with that? Feels like that's the, uh, there's just so much attention on New York and then on the negative of the Mets. It just seems like that's going to be the end of the road for something. I tend to agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, it's still June. All this conversation is you know, precluded by the fact that it's still June 14th and not August. So um, everything we said here is probably completely wrong. Um, be gentle with my Juan Soto stuff. I'm, I'm not promoting that. I'm just saying he's the kind of GM that would listen to that conversation. That's all I'm saying. All right, man. Good stuff. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks.